0: For a lot of you Illini fans, who's watching the game today? I thought I thought more people would be raising their hands right now. I thought this would be this was Illini country. All right, well today is the the Big Ten championship game, and uh, my uh, beloved Purdue Boilermakers did not make it. But but are that's all right. <laughs> you get a clap right there. But the. The fighting line I did make it today, and so that's, this should be a good game um, and i and I know this is the start of March madness, and I know some people get more mad than <laughs> than glad <laughs> because only one team will win the championship in in about three weeks, and a lot of people will go away mad <laughs> and uh, we are today we're looking at. And we're in this series called Good News for Mark, and so we're looking at this, especially in this verse that's, that's, that says, for the gospel. What are, what are we doing things for? For, for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to find out today a little bit more about for the gospel. What does it mean to be living and doing things for the gospel? How do we live our lives that way, even amongst the March Madness. <laughs> so uh, we we've seen it in Mark so far that that the good news for Mark is that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's good news that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and we, over the first eight chapters, we're not it's not obvious to everyone that Jesus is the Son of God. And we're going to find that out today. But then we see that then later that Jesus shows the good news by coming to be with us and to and cleansing us and making us whole. Complete in Him. And, the, and then we see that, that religion tends to clash with the way in the heart of Jesus. The, the religious system and religious leaders, their ideas, and sometimes our ideas, are not the same as what Jesus desires. And, and then we saw that committed disciples of Jesus have ears to hear God's word. So as followers of Jesus, we need to be committing and understanding. What God is doing and what Jesus is saying and listening. And then we saw uh, that when we, over, when we are overcome with fear, let's trust God who overcomes. Jesus overcomes all. And so do we push Him away or do we bring Him closer to us? Do we go to Him in faith and do we believe that Jesus can overcome Last week, uh, Dwayne Eby taught from, from Mark 6, uh, 30 to seven thirty, and he, he was looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water and what defiles inside. Also, Jesus honoring the, the, the woman's faith. And, and he said that Jesus is the bread of life who gives us contentment no matter what our circumstances are. So whatever our circumstances are, we go to Jesus the bread of life who gives us contentment. And so today we're going to be picking that up in Mark 7, verse 31. So I encourage you to open your Bibles at Mark 7 and verse 31. And we've been seeing so far that Jesus' teaching and his power, and, and, and people keep asking this question who is this man? Who's given you authority? And even the disciples who were with Jesus. They still were trying to figure this out. is Who is, who is Jesus? Is He Messiah? Is He a prophet? Is, is He just having some good teaching? We saw that He was rejected in His hometown. And we, we, saw, we saw that He was not always liked. He was sending His disciples out, having them do miracles, and having them have authority. And so people were trying to figure out, who is this? Even Herod was, who is this? Uh, and so today we're going to see... If, if eyes are open to see who Jesus really is. So let's read this in, in Matthew 7, and starting in verse 31. It says that then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, and he went down to the Sea of Galilee and went into the region of Decapolis. And there were some people that brought him a man who was deaf and who hardly could talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on this man. And uh, Jesus took this man aside, away from the crowd, and he put his fingers into the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. So right here we see that Jesus physically is touching this man's ear and then using saliva and touching this man's tongue. Now, looks very strange. Jesus looked at heaven, look up to, to heaven in verse 34, and, and with a deep sigh said to him, e, ta, which means be open. And at this point, the man's ears were open. And it says, and this is our immediately, immediately, we've seen that a whole bunch of times in Mark, but immediately this, this man's ears were opened. And his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but, but the more he did so, the more people kept talking about it. And the people were overwhelmed with amazement. And he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus is healing this man, and, he, and right away this man is healed. And right away, even though Jesus is saying, don't tell people, it's, it's the news about what Jesus is doing is spreading and spreading and spreading. People, want to, to be, people are amazed, and they want to see what's happening with Jesus, and they want to be close to Him. And, and last week, we, we heard about how Jesus had fed the 5,000, and really, what Duane was saying was much more than 5,000, because they only counted the men there. But, but now we get into to Mark 8, and we see this a similar miracle. It says during those days there was another large crowd gathered and since they had nothing to eat Jesus called his disciples to him and said I have compassion for these people and I have already uh, they have already been with me for 3 days and I have nothing to eat If I send them some hum- if I send them home hungry they will collapse on the way because they have come a long distance Now It says in the next verse here that the disciples answered. So there wasn't a question. At least the English doesn't put a question mark there in 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 what he was talking about. But I think he's trying to set up the disciples. All right. Hey, does this sound familiar? Hey, have we done this before? There was this crowd that Jesus had compassion on. And and remember, you guys came and asked me, how are we going to... Feed all this this crowd? How how you know, should we go and and spend money? A year's worth of, of food just to get them a, or a year's worth of salary just to get them a, a little snack? Or what and then and then they saw. They saw with their own eyes. And I'm sure they heard with their own ears the people being happy and eating. And so now Jesus is is asking his followers, his his disciples, the ones that were just there probably a few days or a week or a few months before. what He's kind of trying to set them up. What do you think we should do about this crowd that's hungry and hasn't eaten anything in three days? What should we do about it? Now, it's not a question, but I think he's trying to test them. And his disciples answered, saying, but this is a remote place. Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Fail. (laughs) Come on! (laughs) Can anyone get enough food to feed? That's the same question you asked before. You're, you're in the same situation. And did you see with your eyes? Did you see what Jesus did? And, and the disciples are, are still wondering the same thing. Well, how can we do it? It's not possible. We can't feed all these people. Yeah, you're right. It's not possible. But all things are possible with God. And who is this person that's leading you? Who is this rabbi? Do you know who he is? If nothing else, you saw him multiply the, the fish and the, and the bread, and he provided for this huge crowd. Maybe he could do it again. <laughs> I don't know. Like, but, but Jesus then kind of asks them. he says in verse 5, well, how many loaves do you have? So he's trying to get them on that mindset again. Well, how much, how much do we start with? Do we have some food? And they said, seven. All right, well, we have something. Well, it, Jesus can multiply this. So again, he told the crowd to, to come and, and sit on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And, and he gave thanks for them also, and told the disciples to distribute them. So remember, both times that he's done this miracle, both times that he's provided for this crowd of people, both times they have a little bit of food, and that's enough for Jesus. He takes what the little we have and he multiplies it. He he takes this little bit, and his model is not just. Here, I'm going to break bread and give it to everybody. His model is, let's be thankful for the little bit we have. Let's be thankful. Because look, there's only seven, but we're going to be thankful for those seven loaves. And we're going to be thankful for just these few fish as well. Because he says he he gave thanks and told his disciples to distribute them. The disciples were, were the ones distributing it to all the crowd. I mean, think about it. Last week... Last week, uh, Dwayne was talking about filling uh, the whole stadium full of people. And how long that would take to distribute food to all them? A while. So this is taking a long time to distribute. Even if Jesus is multiplying like incredible speed or however he's doing it, it's still they have to walk to each person and give them food, and give them baskets of food. And, and it says that, the people ate and were satisfied, just like in the feeding of the 5,000. The people ate and were satisfied. They, they were fed. They were full. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of bo- broken pieces of bread that were left over, and about 4,000 were present. Again, that's 4,000, most likely they're counting just the men. So it was probably a, a, large, a much larger crowd than that. And after Jesus sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went into the region of Delumina. And, and, and so, here we see that then the disciples are trying to figure out, okay, what just happened? But before they can really start asking the question of what's going on with that, the Pharisees had a question. And they, they had this question, and, and they wanted to test Jesus. And so they asked for a sign from heaven. Now, what kind of sign do they want? Because what had Jesus just been doing, not just like right then, but for the last few months? Or maybe two or three years? What what had Jesus been doing? He's been constantly teaching the people and showing them miracles, showing them He has power over demons. He has power to, to heal people. He calmed the storm, he walked on water. I mean he had, no, one, no one can do things like this. but the Pharisees want to see a sign from heaven, but that just shows their hearts are, are in the wrong place anyways. I mean the, the, when Jesus went to his hometown, they wanted to see uh, they, they wanted to see more more signs to prove how can you really be this, how can you really be doing all this and so Jesus again, deep, he had a deep sigh. <sighs> says that a couple times here. He deep, sighed deeply. <sighs> really? Okay. <laughs> and he says, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given. And then he left them and got back on the boat and crossed the other side. You guys want a sign? You've got lots of signs but you're not opening your eyes or having your ears open to understand what's really happening. Those signs aren't good enough for you? Well, that's all you're going to get. Now, Jesus wasn't, wasn't saying it in a, a mocking way or anything. I'm just, but he, I think there's something to that. He, he sighed deeply. <sighs> Come on, people. Come on, people. <laughs> Figure it out. So then we see here what's really happening. Because then in verse, well, I shouldn't say what's really happening, Well, we see what the disciples are still trying to figure out this multiplication. You know, in school, I'm sure they weren't taught seven pieces of bread plus some fish equals thousands of meals provided. You know, no, one's, no one learns that in school. But Jesus wasn't trying to teach them that this is how it always is. He's trying to show them, who am I? And are you going to trust me? And so, the disciples, now it says here in verse 14 that the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except except for the one loaf that they had with them in the boat. So it's interesting that they just had seven basketfuls of broken bread, but then they forget to bring bread with them in the boat except for just one loaf. And Jesus warned them, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, And that of Herod, watch out what is happening with the Pharisees are just asking for signs. They're just trying to spread these things and watch out for them. And they discussed this with each other and said, it's because we don't have any bread. They, they're, they're very literal-minded here, that we don't have bread, so watch out for the, the Pharisees' yeast, and the, the yeast of Herod. Watch out for that. Oh, yeah, we don't have bread. Now, I don't, I don't want to make the disciples seem like they were, they were dumb. I think a lot of times we, we kind of do the same things. We're, we're thinking literal, literal, literal. But Jesus was aware of their discussion, and He cares about His disciples. He wants them to understand. He wants them to, to know and so he asks these questions. He says, he asks the question, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves of for the 5,000 people, and, and how many basketfuls did you pick up? 12, 12, 12. Good job, you got the right answer. And, and when, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 just probably yesterday or even earlier that day, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Oh, I know, seven. They got the right answers. And I I bet the the disciples that said 12 and said 7 were proud of themselves. We got the right answer. I remember that one. And I bet they were a little confused when then Jesus said, Do you still not understand? Uh, We got the right answer. (laughs) We got the right answer. It was 12. And the second one, it was 7. Do you still not understand? What are we supposed to understand? Exactly. <laughs> they didn't understand. And so the disciples, they were having a hard time understanding this. And right after Jesus talks about not able to not having their eyes open and not seeing and not having their ears open and failing to hear, then the next thing that Jesus does. The next thing that Jesus does is, is He went it says in, in verse 22 that the, they came through some people and, and there was a blind man that was brought to Jesus and, and begged Jesus to touch him. And he had probably maybe he just heard that this other guy was touched and could, he could hear and talk. And when Jesus had spit on the man's eyes, now there's some awkward things in the Gospels, I know. <laughs> he... he He had spit on the man's eyes, and he put his hands on him, and and Jesus said, do you see anything? Now, this man, he could have said, yeah, my eyes are open, I can see everything, awesome, thank you so much, Jesus. But he looked up and he said, I I see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. So, this is the only time that we find out in any of the Gospels that we find out that that somebody was healed partially. So this man he couldn't see fully. He could just see um, he could see trees walking around. They look like people, or they look people look like trees walking around. So some sight is better than no sight, probably. But he still couldn't see fully. He couldn't see clearly. He couldn't really get it. And maybe was this kind of a picture of what the disciples were doing? They could kind of see. Is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he, is he have power from God? But they couldn't really fully see the details. And Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open, And his sight was restored fully. He could see everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. And, and so we see with all these stories, with all these things that are happening, how can, you know, how can the people be satisfied? Jesus satisfied them with their hunger, feeding the 4,000 just like he did the 5,000. The Pharisees, they wanted a sign from heaven and and the only sign they got was a sigh. <laughs> and, and, and then they had Jesus talk to them about having eyes but failing to see and ears but failing to hear. He just had opened up a man's ears and he just opened up a man's eyes. Is he, is he trying to show them something? Our first point today is that that followers of Jesus must have eyes to see and ears to hear. To, To see Jesus clearly, to know who He is, to understand what His mission is. To understand that He loves us and He wasn't just on earth to do some miracles and have a good time. But He had a mission. And His mission was a mission of love. And so he, want, he wants all his followers, and he expects all his followers that we trust him and we open our eyes and we open our ears. But it's not us doing that. It's through his strength, his power. You know, yesterday I was, I was driving with the kids and we stopped at Steak and Shake and, and I was having the kids, I told them, we're not going to eat inside the van. I didn't want any messes <laughs> And I said, we're going to, and they're like, what were we going to eat? And I said, well, we're just, I'm just going to pull up into one of these parking spots here, and we'll just sit outside. And, and Lucy said, but dad, there was picnic tables right over there on the other side of the building. And I said, there, are, there were? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you saw that, because I didn't see that. So we drove around to the picnic tables, and we had a nice picnic steak and shake meal. <laughs> but I didn't see it. You have to have your eyes open and and paying attention to the details. We have to be seeing what is around us. And we have to be listening. How is God moving? What is He saying? We need to have our eyes open to see and our ears open to hear so we can fully understand what Jesus' mission is all about. His good news. His gospel message. And so then we get to this part, and this is kind of the key part, the climax of this book of Mark. And so in, in verse 27, we we find out, you know, we, we heard earlier that Herod was asking, who is this, who is this person? Is it, is it John the Baptist that's coming back from the dead? Who is, you know, who is this person that's doing all these things? And so now Jesus, as he's walking with his disciples, he asks them some more questions. And in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples were in, on, went to villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? So he's asking this question, who do, not who do you say I am, but who do the people say I am? You, you hear this, you're my disciples, you hear the crowd, you, you know what they're saying. So who do they say I am? And the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Okay, like Herod and some of those people, yeah. And others say that you're Elijah because of all the powerful things that you're doing and multiplying. And, and, and others say that you're one of the prophets. Whatever the case is, you are really great, Jesus. People are saying you are powerful, you are great, you are special. All these are compliments, But Jesus looks at them and says, What about you? Who do you say I am? And that's a question that we all need to wrestle with. Who do do each of us say and believe that Jesus is? There's a lot of people outside the Christian world that believe that Jesus was a good man. They believe that a lot of the things that he did and said but who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And that's what Jesus asked clearly to his disciples. And I wonder how long they were waiting. Because there's a lot of times that Jesus is asking a question and there's kind of like no answer. Like earlier, like, do you still don't understand? A little awkward. Who do you say now now, but who do you say I am? I don't know how fast it was. But Peter, I'm not surprised because he's the one that He likes to just kind of, he's the one that jumped out of the boat. He's the one that just kind of does things. He's the one that takes those risks. And Jesus says, when Jesus asked the question, Peter said, Answer the question. You are the Messiah. This is the first time one of the disciples said that. You are the Messiah. Well, what does the Messiah mean? The Messiah, we're going to find out, means a little bit differently to Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people, even the disciples, than it did to what Jesus' mission was. And so to understand his mission and to understand what the Messiah are, those are different things. But Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. And then Jesus begins to tell them about what the Son of Man, what this Messiah, what he is going to do. He is going to suffer many things and he's going to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after 3 days rise again. So very clearly Jesus spoke about this. He very plainly it says and and then Peter took him aside, "Hey Jesus, don't talk about that. Don't talk about this being rejected and killing and suffering." You know, maybe I don't even know if he was listening to the rise again in three days, but you're, that's not what the Messiah does. We've been learning our whole life what the Messiah does, and that's not what the Messiah does. What you just said, so don't say that. Imagine telling Jesus, "Don't say that." Do we do that? Don't say that. That can't be the plan, Jesus. That can't be what your plan is. That's not what I think it should be, so it can't be that way. It sounds bizarre to say that, but I think sometimes we say that and pray that. In verse 33, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You, have the, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is saying, you care about what you care about, what the humans care about, what what people are expecting the Messiah to be, not what the mission of God is. And and so our second point today is followers of Jesus must understand the message of the gospel. We need to understand that Jesus came to die he came to, to die not so that He would just die and be. we would worship a dead God. He came to die so that we, He could save all people that choose to trust in His name and have life in Him. And so the message of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, is to give people life instead of eternal death. You know, we had no hope without Jesus. And so we need to understand the message of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And we need to be excited about that. Good news of Jesus. If we are followers of Jesus, we need to be excited and telling people about the good news of Jesus. i just just uh, try to understand a little bit of this context of what it means to be the Christ, that Jesus being the Messiah. I have a, a short three-minute video from the Bible Project that will help us understand the first uh, half of Mark, so we can play that.
1: The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus, and the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is. is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the messianic king. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized, and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but... As you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people, and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account. It's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic king. And it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant. Or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's going to let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is. But it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them. And every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay.
0: All right, so the Bible Project, again, that's on Right Now Media. I um, really recommend <clears throat> videos they, they produce. But they're, they're looking at this, in the first part of Mark, who is Jesus? And so the disciples are finally figuring out who is Jesus. He's the Christ. And, and what is the Christ or the Messiah? What does that mean? Is, is he this one that comes in on this war horse and it comes into the city and and with this big sword and and wipes out the romans because that's what they're expecting to happen and they're starting to head towards jerusalem and so we're going to see the the palm sunday story is that what jesus does no (laughs) jesus is not coming to take over the romans he's not coming to restore the people the way that they think they should be restored he's coming to set up a heavenly kingdom that's going to be an eternal kingdom and so he's been trying to show them that. And so understanding the message of the gospel is really important for followers of Jesus. If, if we're cloudy about some of the, the big details, it's we're not really pointing people to the right Jesus or the right message of Jesus. And so first we see that, that we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear and then we see that we need to understand the message, the true message of the gospel. And so then we're going to continue here with what Jesus says next. So in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus called the crowd to him and along with the disciples said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For the gospel. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Can anyone exchange their exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. And He said to them, Truly I tell you, some of, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. And so here we are seeing Jesus giving this very radical message. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a follower of me, Jesus says, even to his 12 disciples, he's saying you have to die. You, you have to t- deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. Now, now, I know we're used to the idea of a cross, but these people, the idea of a cross was death. If you take up your cross, I mean, they, they saw people dying on Roman crosses, and that was brutal. Why would anybody want to deny themselves and take up their cross, go to their death, a terrible death, for Jesus? But Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to save it is actually going to lose it. So it's it's so backwards, because if you're trying so hard to hang on to your life and to, to save yourself, it's impossible. We can't live a perfect life. We can't be right before our holy God without Jesus, that is. We can only be right, considered righteous, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so Jesus is saying, if you want, if you're going to lose your life for me and the gospel, the good news, then you'll save it. That's the only way. You can't save it on your own. It's only through me, Jesus is saying, and why try to have everything you want, but then you're forfeiting your soul? And, and so here, this is, this is the heart of, of discipleship, is that we need to surrender to Jesus' mission. We need to surrender for, for the gospel and for Jesus. It's not on our own. Being a, being a Christian is not something we do on our own. It's with God. It's, it's because of Jesus. And, and so our, our third point today is that followers of Jesus must deny themselves and take up their crosses. We have to die to be saved. A daily death. And now that sounds terrible. Who wants to die every day? But the life of a follower of Jesus is a life of surrender to Jesus. And I know that that doesn't seem popular to surrender everything. But I know there's a lot of people this week putting a lot of money on a lot of teams. And if their team doesn't win the whole thing, they're going to lose a lot of money. In a, in a similar way, basketball fans, are, they go crazy this time of year. They're, a lot of us, we, we cheer so much for our team, but in the end, only one comes out victorious at the end. And are you willing to put all of your chips in for one team? I mean, the Illini are really good this year, but I still wouldn't bet my everything on the Illini, I mean, I know some of you saw that in 2004. <laughs> I wouldn't put everything. I wouldn't put everything in for a basketball team, but some people do. I, I wouldn't put anything in on for everything. I wouldn't bet my everything on anything except for Jesus, and that's what He's calling us to do: is to put our lives all in to Him. Not, not most of it, but all of it. And we need to deny ourselves and, and take up our cross every day and surrender to a life of relationship with Jesus. And if you've never done that, I would love to pray with you. But if you have done that, if, you, if you've given your life to Jesus, it's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. It's a choice to love God with all our heart with all our soul, mind, and strength, and living in Him every day. And our main idea today is that that Jesus expects His followers to be like Him, all in for the gospel. Jesus was all in for the mission of dying for the sins of the world and saving them so they could have eternal life. And, And so Jesus expects His followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be all in. To be all in for him in the gospel. He wants us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. He wants us to understand the message of the gospel and to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and surrender to Jesus Christ. And we can't do it on our own. Before I close, I just want to encourage you to think about how you'd answer this question in what area or areas of your, in, in my life might I not fully be surrendering to Jesus? So just take a moment to think about that question. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be followers that would be all in for you and for your gospel, for your good news. God, I pray that we would be people that trust you and bet on you with everything, that we don't hold anything back, but that we would, we would take up our crosses, we would deny ourselves and we would surrender fully to you and your mission, Jesus. We pray that others would see the good works and glorify our Father in heaven. God, we pray that we would see fruit and we pray that we would would just trust you above everything and that we would understand your message And what it means to each of us. And live our lives in an obedient surrender to you, Jesus. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.